to connect people to Christ. That's who we are. That's what we're about. And uh, we're, we're glad that you've, uh, you've, you've been here today. And if you're a first-time guest, we want to welcome you. If you're in church for the first time or, a, or the first time in a long time, we're excited that you are here today. And we hope that your experience here has been connection with Christ. That's our hope. That's our goal. And uh, we hope that you've connected with Jesus in a way that you never have before. Well, we're starting a new series, a short series called I Love My Church This Morning. And so to get the ball rolling, I want to talk about dating. Yes, dating. Some of you said, what? Seriously, there is a connection between a topic this morning and dating. And so how many of you still are living in that dating world out there? You're dating, you're, you're, all right, okay, well, um, I've just learned some interesting facts about some people this morning. Um, But dating is always an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, All of us have had an experience, and we're going to show another video here, but all of us in our dating life have had an experience like this one. Hello, my name is Debbie. Um, This is my first attempt um, at a eHarmony video. Um, This is my first time at online dating. So I'm nervous, but I'm excited at the same time. Um, So I'm just going to start talking about what I like and hope I get some replies. Um, So I am a recent um, MBA grad from Villanova. Um, I love cats. Um, I just... Sorry, I'm getting emotional. I love cats. Um, I love every kind of cat. Sorry, I just, I really love cats. And I just want to hug all of them, but I can't, because that's crazy. I can't hug every cat. (laughs) But I just want to, I want to. I want to. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry, I just, I get Anytime I hear cat, I just, I love cats. Um, ooh, promised myself I wouldn't cry. Um, so anyway, I am a cat lover, um, and I love to run. I'm sorry, I'm thinking about cats again. <laughs> I just, I think about how many don't have a home and how I should have them and how cute they are and their ears and the whiskers and the nose. I just love them and I want them and I want them in a basket and I want little bow ties. I want them to be on a rainbow and just in my bed and I just want a house full of them and I just want to still roll around. I can't. I I can't. All right. So that's the reason we date, right? So that we don't accidentally marry that person, right? (laughs) Because you know 
that in a few years after marrying her, you're going to have 30 cats in your house. And that is some fate, that's a fate that I wish upon no one, is to have that many cats. But there are some people who are in an endless dating cycle because of another reason. They're in an endless dating cycle because um, they, um, they cannot commit to something. They cannot commit to a person. They struggle with, uh, with saying, yes, they, 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 they have this, what, what we call hashtag FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. They're afraid that if they commit to somebody, that something else better, something else more awesome, some other awesome, more awesome woman, some other more awesome man is going to come along and they're going to miss out on it because they committed to this person. And so you're saying to yourself, okay, so how does all of this relate to the church? Well, here's the deal. See, there's a lot of people out there who are dating the church. See, they will go to this church for a while and then they'll go to that church for a while. Or uh, maybe they'll just go to one church, but they're not there very often because they have a lot of stuff that comes up that's better than church on a Sunday morning, and so you don't see them very often or you don't see their face. And most of the reason I think that people date the church is because of this whole thing having to do with who we are as Americans. You know, as Americans, we are independent. We're self-reliant. We don't need anybody for anything else in our life. And, and, and so the thought of taking our will, our purposes, our plans, and saying, you know what, I'm going to submit them to somebody else, especially God, we say, no way. It's not going to be that way. It doesn't come into my wheelhouse. And we also have a consumer mentality when it comes to a lot of things, right? Uh, we, we like to look at things and say, what's going to give me the best bang for my buck on Sunday morning? Is being at church going to give me the best bang for my buck? Or is something else? Maybe, maybe this other church down the street, a couple miles away, is doing something more awesome on Sunday morning, and so I should be there on Sunday morning because that's going to give me a bigger bang for my buck. Maybe Disney is going to give me a bigger bang for my buck on Sunday, and so that's where I need to be. Maybe it's the zoo. Maybe it's the beach. Whatever it is, we have this consumer mentality where we look at things in what's going to be the most beneficial for me. What's going to give me the biggest bang for my buck in my life. And that's why we end up dating the church. And I know the church isn't innocent in this, as the church has done what it could to encourage the consumer mindset and the consumer culture in the things that the church does. But this is not a healthy way for the church to be, and it's completely different than the church that's pictured in the New Testament. The church in the New Testament is described as a body all throughout. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 alone, the church of Jesus is referred to as a body 10 times. Now, some people would say, yeah, yeah, it's referred to as a body. And when he's talking about a body, when the New Testament is talking about a body, he's talking about all the church for all time, all the people who have ever followed Jesus. And, and that makes up the body. Body. It's this universal thing, regardless of the church you go to, the beliefs you have, the country that you live in, any of that stuff. Um, um, the church is just whoever follows Jesus. Whenever we become a follower of Jesus, we become a part of this living organism made up of the followers of Jesus all over the world, as well as those who have lived throughout history, and that's the body. But is that all there is to the church? Is that just the church is who's ever followed Jesus for all time and nothing more? 
Well, reading what's written in the New Testament, it doesn't seem so. Yes, the New Testament does talk about the church universal referring to Jesus' followers of all time. Uh, There's one in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, um, and that's where we're going to be this morning, is uh, two different places in Ephesians. And so uh, Ephesians is about halfway through the New Testament, and so if you'd like to turn there, if you know where it's at, you're welcome to turn there. If you're not familiar with where it's at, we're going to have it on the screen here behind me so that you can follow along. Um, But uh, here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This verse is a very clear reference to all believers of all time, but do you know what? This is not the common view found in the Bible. Of the 114 times that we see the primary word for the church, which is ecclesia, and we're going to come back to that word in a little bit, but of the 114 times that it's recorded in the New Testament, 90 of those times refer to a specific church. They refer to a local gathering of believers. Uh, The church in Jerusalem, we see that phrase. We see the church of God in Corinth, the churches in Galatia, and there are more, but these references are interesting because the New Testament never refers to any of these churches as part of the universal church or section of the global church. The writers of these letters never say to the piece of the church that meets in Ephesus, to the section of the church that meets in Galatia. It's always to the church that meets in whatever city it may be. And to me, the implications are pretty clear here, okay? Believers in the New Testament were joined together in local bodies. Never once do we see any of the writers of the New Testament addressing followers followers of Christ who don't belong to a local church. The letters that fill the New Testament are addressed to particular people who have identified as a church and a particular place. As a result, any follower of Jesus who honestly reads the New Testament must draw the conclusion that in order to be a true follower of Jesus, then I must belong to a local body of believers. Instead, many Americans choose not to belong and instead say things like, I don't need to be a part of the church to be a follower of Jesus. I can date the church because Jesus only calls me to commit to him. See, the New Testament doesn't allow that line of thinking. And really the deeper question is, if we were a follower of Jesus, why would we want to live our Christian life apart from the church? Some would say, well, it's because the church has problems and issues, and the people that make up the church do not live the way Jesus did. And so, you know what, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. So let's think about that line of thinking and what the words and thoughts are communicating when we say that. And so with that, I want to jump over to Ephesians chapter 5 and see how Jesus talked about the church, how he viewed the church. I'm going to read verses 25 through 30 of Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Ephesians was an interesting church. It's what we would call a megachurch today. Uh, It's believed that at the time this letter was written that it was the largest church in the world. And uh, this is what it says there. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, 
for we are members of his body. Okay, so there's two comparisons in this section that we just read that uh, communicates what the church really is. And the first thing is the church is compared to a person's spouse, and then it's also compared to a person's body. And so let's think about this for a minute. If you say you don't like the church, first, the th- first thing you're saying is that you do not like Jesus's bride. And then the second thing you're saying is that if you don't like the church, you do not like the body of the bride either. And then by default, you're also saying you do not like yourself because we make up the body of Christ. So think about it like this. What if your husband, wife, boyfriend, or girlfriend came to you and said, you know what? I love you so much, but I hate your body. How would that go over in your house? I'm thinking especially of the women, and I'm thinking there might be a few guys that get punched in the face if they say that. (laughs) Or imagine your mother coming to you and saying, you know what, I love you because you're my son or you're my daughter, but I, I hate your spouse. I mean, how would that go down in your house as well either? I mean, me personally, if my mom came to me and said, I don't like your spouse, I would have to say, well, she's part of me. And so if you don't like her, you're saying you do not like me. And so we're going to have to do something about this relationship because it's not going to work because you're saying you don't like a part of me. And that's the point that is being made when Jesus and the church are talked about as the bride and the bridegroom. See, the church is a part of Jesus. And if you do not like the church, the local body is a body of believers, you're saying by default you don't like Jesus and you also don't like his family either. Am I saying that the church is perfect in saying this? No, that's not what I'm trying to communicate here. But the reason the church has issues It's because of me and you, okay? That's the reason the church has problems. We gotta remember, we are sinful, fallen people, and sometimes we do sinful, fallen things. And sometimes that happens in the context of a church. And if you're saying, well, that still isn't an excuse, well, here's what I would challenge for you then. If you're saying the church needs to be perfect or near perfect, I would say, okay, get your life to where you are perfect, and then come and talk to me, and we'll start working on the church. Do you know how long I will wait for you to come to me and tell me that you're perfect? I'll be dead before we have that conversation. But it's crazy. We think like that. We think, okay, the church needs to be perfect or near perfect, but me, I myself, I don't need to be near perfect. You know, it's just the church's responsibility to make sure that's perfect. Yes, perfection is our target and goal with our life. We want to try and get more like Jesus every single day. But what we need to remember is that despite our imperfections, despite our flaws, Jesus loves us as his church. Despite all of the warts, the stretch marks, and character flaws, he still loves us just like we love our spouses, despite all of their warts, their stretch marks, and their character flaws. Not only does Jesus love the church, 
but he gave himself up for the church, and Jesus has asked those who follow him to do the exact same thing. See, we as a church, we're called to be a family. Just like the bride and the bridegroom, we're called to be a family of men and women and youth and children who together have died to themselves and are are living in Christ. Biblically, a church does not consist of people who simply come, park their cars, walk in, participate in a program, and go home. See, the church is comprised of people who share the life of Christ with each other on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. This was the pattern set by Jesus and his disciples from the beginning. I mean, think about where Jesus and his disciples, their whole life, Jesus gathered these 12 men around them and they journeyed. They lived their lives together. They went from place to place and town to town. They lived life in the city. They lived life in the country. They lived life uh, on dusty roads. They lived life in the desert. They lived life together fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They lived life together. And that's the picture that the New Testament envisions for the church that came after Jesus. See, it's a community of people that care for one another. A community of people that love one another. That receive one another. That host one another. That honor one another. That serve one another. That instruct one another one another, that forgive one another, that motivate one another, that build up one another, that encourage one another, that pray for one another, that confess our sins to one another, that esteems each other, that that edifies one another, that teaches one another, that shows kindness to one another, that hurts with one another and restores one another. You see, all of these one another's combined paint a picture of who the church is supposed to be. It's not a building filled with customized programs for people to come to, to put themselves into, to come and to get something and to go home. It's a place where we come to lay down our lives like Jesus laid his life down and love those that are here. A church is a community of believers in Jesus who desire to see everyone become who Jesus has intended them to be. The interesting thing about this is that in the parts of the world where the church is being persecuted, this is functioning properly. See, all the believers have in places like the Middle East, in China, and in other places where the church is being persecuted, all they have is one another. Their families have abandoned them. Their friends have disowned them. I'm reading in a book right now, and and, and what uh, they're talking about witnessing in the Muslim world, and this is what they tell new believers. Wrap your brains around this for a second, okay? They tell new believers, think about everybody that's in your chain of family and friends. Then think about the person who is least likely to kill you if you become a follower of Jesus and go tell them about Jesus. That's what they tell them in the Muslim world. The person who is least likely to kill you. That's scary. 
But the church needs each other in other parts of the world. And here, we're just too darn independent. We're just too darn, uh, you know, we don't, we don't need to do anything. The church is actually here for me. It's here to meet my needs. It's here to, 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 to be who I want it to be. And we get it all turned around and messed up. You see, God has called the church to be about sacrificing and laying our lives down. And when we have that result, the church, when we have this kind of result, when we have the church living like this, we see the church growing each and every single day. When you go to these other countries where you can die for your faith, the church continues to grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger, and there's nothing they can do to stop it. Why? Because the church is functioning the way it was designed to. Any other view is just not found in the scriptures. And so the deal is, is if we want to love our church, it doesn't matter if it's this church or if you're from another church. If we want to love our church, then the first step is to see the reason that the church was put here. Then once we see the reason, we need to live that out. And the reason the church was put here was so that we can live a life of sacrifice for one another, including those outside the church, and show the world the difference that Jesus can make. And that's why the persecuted church is growing, because of how they live. If I could have somebody from the worship team come on back up. And just kind of in wrapping this thing up, what I'm about to say comes from Andy Stanley, but it's a powerful description of what the church really is. The church comes from, the, the, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which I mentioned at the beginning of the message. What most of us don't know is that this word was not a religious term, okay? This word was a term used in the Greek culture to depict a gathering of people who were called out for a specific purpose. And so if you were in the military, and they needed to muster you up to go and fight in battle. And they went into your town. Where they gathered the troops together was called the ecclesia. If you were a government and you were having a government meeting, like the city council was having a meeting in your town, and they gathered together, that was called an ecclesia. If you had any sort of meeting, businessmen and women gathering together to discuss business, all of those words, all of those ideas, those concepts were defined by this one word, ecclesia, a group of people who were called out to a specific place for a specific purpose. But at some point in our history, we moved from a local assembly called out for a specific purpose to a church. So the church comes from the German word kirche, which became kirch, which became church in English. The word kirch in German means house of the Lord. We went from being a called out group of people who had a purpose to a place to gather. That's not God's purpose for the church. He did not call the church as a place to come and gather together. 
He called the church to be men and women who gather together for a mission and for a purpose. And that mission and purpose is to live those one another's that we just talked about and we went through. Not only to live those one another's, but to be those one another's to the people outside of the church so that they can see the light and the hope that's in Jesus. See, that's what the church is called to be. And that's who we want to be here at FAM Church. We want to be the FAM Ecclesia. We don't want to be the church. We want to be a group of men, women, youth, and children who've been called together, who've been gathered together to make a difference in our city, to make a difference in the people that are gathered right here, to make a difference in those that we come in contact with. Because right now, the church in America is losing the battle. And we're losing the battle because the church is being a church and not being an ecclesia. But if our churches were focused on their purpose and on their mission and on what God called them to be in their community, it would be a whole different story. If we as believers in this place were to see us as the one another's to each other and instead of walking through the doors of the church on Sunday morning and saying, you know what, what are they going to do for me? How are they going to meet my needs? And we were to walk in the doors and say, you know what, what can I do for somebody else? What difference can I make in somebody else's life? How can I impact somebody for the glory of God? If that was our mental focus when we walked through those doors on a Sunday morning, this would be a vastly different place. But that's who God has called us to be as the church. He has called us to be those people who are about the one another, not about us. And so this morning, as we close our service, I just have one question that all of us need to ask ourselves in this room if we are followers of Jesus. And that question is this. Am I just doing church or am I being that ecclesia? Am I just living my life going to church as a part of some sort of duty, some sort of religious box that I check on a checklist so that God will let me into heaven? Or am I really trying to be the church and make a difference and make an impact? 